COVID outbreak in the Okanagan. We can't afford to regress. A return to pandemic restrictions in BC's summer playground. And who's being told to stay away? Staff attacked at a Richmond McDonald's. Give me a the violent outburst that landed a customer in jail. And softball heroes come home. How our women are giving Canada a lot to celebrate at the Olympics. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. It looks like some bad behavior by a few people is going to affect everyone in the central Okanagan. The government is declaring a COVID-19 outbreak and imposing new restrictions in that region right at the peak of a badly needed tourist season. Richard Zussman reports. COVID crackdown, an official outbreak in the central Okanagan. This means Kelowna, West Kelowna, Lake Country and Peachland. Starting at midnight, masks will be mandatory in the area in indoor public spaces for anyone over the age of 12. And events should be organized outdoors and not indoors. We've seen a very rapid increase in cases here um, in the central Okanagan, even just over the last week. Uh, and we have a very disproportionately high number of cases compared with the rest of the province. That surge has seen more than half of the province's COVID cases linked to the region, mainly driven by unvaccinated young people and the Delta variant. On July 14th, Interior Health saw just 16 new COVID cases and 157 active cases. On Wednesday, 113 new cases and 503 active cases. So a year ago in the central Okanagan in Kelowna, we had a very large cluster of cases. Um, and this year, we're seeing that in the same time period, but this year we have the uh, COVID-19 vaccine in our toolbox. The problem is more than a quarter of eligible people in interior health still haven't been vaccinated. The hope is the restrictions will provide some motivation. We decided to close our whole winery doors as of about two days ago because we found out that uh, a couple staff members uh, uh, contracted the virus. Travel no longer advised for non-essential reasons into the area for unvaccinated people. But children under 12 who can't be immunized can still travel with their fully vaccinated families. So we're saying for people who are fully immunized, um, come to Central Okanagan, do check before you come. The hard-hit tourism sector encouraging people to get the shot and bracing for the COVID aftershocks. It seems we've taken two steps forward and one step back. We can't afford to regress and find ourselves with stringent travel restrictions across the province yet again. As for whether restrictions could return to other jurisdictions, it will be based on whether there's uncontrolled rapid transmission in those areas as well. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Our latest numbers certainly illustrate why the Okanagan crackdown is necessary. We have 185 new cases. 113 of those are in the interior. 909 cases are currently active with 47 people in hospital, 20 patients in intensive care. Sadly, three more people have died, which means we've now lost 1,771 in B.C. to complications of the virus. We've nearly hit 81% for those 12 and older getting their first dose of vaccine, and just over 63% have both doses. Keith Fawry joins us now with more on this. Keith, you've been flagging the concern in the interior all week. Mm -hmm. So today's announcement isn't a complete surprise. 
Not at all. I've been focusing on the rising case numbers every day this week. We've doubled the case numbers in the interior in just four days. If that trend continues, folks, they could be looking at almost 500 cases uh, by the end of next week. But I want to look at a couple of other statistics tonight that tell the story. The positivity rate has exploded in the Interior Health Authority, going from 2.4% in mid-July up just last week to 3.7%. And then in the space of one week, really skyrocketing to 8.3%. That's seven times the positivity rate. That's the number of tests. Test, the, test positive for COVID-19, seven times the rate in Fraser Health. That's extraordinary. And that will likely continue because it's the, Darien, uh, the Delta variant at play here. Take a look again at who's getting the cases the most in terms of age groups. The people aged 20 to 29, almost half the cases over the last two days, 30 to 39, 18%. Up until July, those two age groups constituted about 40% of the cases. Now they're approaching almost uh, 70% of the cases. And over 40, just 14% of the cases. There's about 400,000 people in British Columbia who are in their 20s and 30s who have not been vaccinated with just one dose. They are the ones at risk now of getting the Delta variant, and many of those live in the Okanagan or intend to visit the Okanagan. So again, the warning from Public Health today, if you're in your 20s and you're not vaccinated, do not go to Kelowna because the chances are very high you're going to get COVID-19. All right, Keith, thanks very much. And uh, let's right. hope that warning is heeded. The B.C. government has launched its new blitz to get more people immunized against COVID-19, including the so-called vaccine hesitant. As John Waugh shows us, the push is on to reach the nearly one million British Columbians who still haven't had the jab. OK, let's go. Most wouldn't associate inflatable kayaks with COVID immunization or splashing around with a family as an incentive to get your first or second dose. Yeah, I was like, why would they ever put this in white pine? It doesn't make sense to me. But Fraser Health hopes a drop-in clinic at this beach in Port Moody One big deep yoga breath is the boost people need to get vaccinated and help put an end to this pandemic. Something we've heard is if, if you weren't here today, I may have never just gone. And so we're grateful just to be there at that right moment. Normalizing the vaccine, showing that it's not anything to be afraid of. Now the reason why health authorities are trying so hard to think outside of the box and outside the clinic for that matter, there are still 906,000 British Columbians who when it comes to even getting their first dose have yet to take the plunge. But of that group, there are more than 860,000 who are considered vaccine hesitant, which means there's hope they still might be willing to test the waters. There's no one right solution to doing this. It's just a much more granular approach depending on who it is that's hesitant and why they're hesitant. Beautiful, mate. Green is good. IDs are good. That explains the many different methods seen around the world, like vaccination cards in Manitoba to access certain services. When you get your first dose, you will get a $100 incentive. In New York, it's cold hard cash to help curb the Delta variant. For Northern Health, celebrations like this one with live music, free food and prizes is hopefully the final push some people need. Here in Terrace, we're about 350 citizens away from that critical 80% mark. So we're trying to pull out all the stops. Back at White Pine Beach, the idea of getting stuck with a needle after a day of sunbathing is starting to make sense. Like it's sort of a bit more relaxing than going into like a um, clinic to get it. While policy experts say education might still be better than rewards and exclusions, it seems health authorities are willing to try anything to get the vaccine hesitant on board. John Hua, Global News. Fully vaccinated Canadian travelers were left off of the UK, uh, UK's new list of countries that don't need to quarantine upon arrival. 
As of August 2nd, fully vaccinated people from the U.S. and the EU will no longer need to quarantine when going to the U.K. The British government didn't give a reason for Canadians being omitted, even though we have lower COVID numbers and better vaccination rates than many countries now being allowed in. I have a great deal of respect for every country's sovereign right to decide during COVID who can come into the country and on what terms. Canadians arriving in the UK must still quarantine at home or in the place they're staying for 10 days upon arrival and take a COVID test after day eight. Caught on video, a violent incident in a Richmond restaurant that landed a Delta man in jail. Police say they were called to the McDonald's restaurant in the Ironwood Plaza when the 30-year-old man, who was apparently unhappy with the service, began trashing the restaurant. He then fought with police as they tried to arrest him. Two restaurant employees, two police officers and the suspect all sustained minor injuries. This incident was quite disturbing for everyone who was at the scene. Uh, We are investigating this fully to see what triggered this incident. It's believed at this time it had something to do with the service he was receiving. However, uh, the actual outburst seems disproportionate to that. So we're still looking into that to see what the cause of this was and, and what was actually going on. The suspect is facing possible charges of assault and assaulting a police officer and mischief over $5,000. Police are asking for witnesses to come forward. As temperatures begin ticking up again on the lower mainland, Ecom is warning the public once again that they are struggling under high 911 call volumes and waits could be lengthy. Jordan Armstrong is live with more on what they say is behind the problem and what to do if you really feel the need to call 911. Jordan? And Chris, our audience will remember the nightmare stories a month ago of people waiting up to 17 minutes for 911 to answer. Ecom obviously doesn't want a repeat of that. So their message tonight is if you need 911, if it's a life-threatening situation or an crime in progress, you should absolutely call. But what they're trying to do is reduce the number of non-emergency calls to keep the call takers available for real emergencies. In fact, they say 36 percent, so more than a third of all calls to police non-emergency lines are unnecessary. Calls that end up being redirected to some other agency like City Bylaw or perhaps BC Hydro. They think if they can get that number down, it would relieve some pressure on the overall system. You know, ask yourself, is this really something that concerns police? There's a second element, and that's about timing. If it's a non-emergency situation, even if it is for police, so let's say you were defrauded and you lost money, that is something to report to the police. But you have to report it on a Saturday night on a long August weekend. Or could you wait until sometime in the middle of the week? And frankly, you will be better off because I pretty much promise you'll wait less time on the phone to be answered. Now, if you go to the Ecom website, they actually have a pretty extensive list of some alternative numbers to call. Still, in spite of this messaging, they know it's going to be a busy few days with the heat and the long weekend. So Ecom is bringing in extra staff, and that includes, Chris, calling back some recent retirees to help take calls. 
All right, Jordan, thanks very much. Let's hope that extra service isn't needed. But we'll bring in meteorologist now, uh, Christy Gordon, for more on that heat. Christy, there's now a warning in place for many areas. Yeah, so a heat warning, and it does include Metro Vancouver, Chris. Here's a look at the ones that were upgraded. You can see them highlighted in pink. So we're talking about Fraser Valley, Fraser Canyon, Metro Vancouver, Sunshine Coast, and eastern parts of um, uh, Vancouver Island. Here's the reason why. Today was hot, but really Friday and Saturday will be the hottest, where some areas away from the water could be in the mid-30s. With humidity, it could feel even hotter than that. And even near the water, we're talking about the feels like in the low 30s. And the one thing that is good news is that it won't be as long of a stretch of heat that we had saw this last time and when we had the heat dome. Really, it should just be Friday, Saturday. We should see some relief on Sunday. I wanted to show you this. Yes, that's the edge of smoke. When I come back, Chris, we'll talk about whether that snow, smoke is expected to move in here and when. Yeah, sure hope not. Okay, thanks very much, Christy. Appreciate it. An emergency that could have turned into a catastrophe in southern B.C., you can see it was a set, set fire. There was no accident there. A suspected firebug nearly starts an inferno. Now we'll show you how bystanders stepped in to stop it before it got out of control. That's next on the News Hour. A woman nursing some serious wounds after her run-in with raccoons in the front yard. Why it's a warning for all of us. Coming up on the News Hour. And pandemic puppies. The cost of companionship that a lot of people didn't bargain for. That's coming up later as well. Right now, though, hard to imagine anything more potentially destructive than an arsonist on the loose during one of the worst wildfire seasons in history. But that's what's happening in the Salmo area. At least seven deliberately set fires over three days, leaving residents of the small town on edge. Grace Key reports. The village of Salmo is on edge with a possible arsonist on the loose. On Saturday, four brush fires were set in the West Kootenay town near the intersection of Highway 3 and 6. Fire crews prevented the flames from spreading and a resident jumped in with machinery. It was quite thankful those machinery was close at hand there. There could have been a lot worse, but... But you can see it was a set, set fire. There was no accident there. I heard a bunch of people when I was there saying that they're staying put now because every time they go out of town, there's fire. This could be another litten. There's many people out there patrolling <laughs> because you run into them all the time. Everybody's patrolling the same area. Police have seized physical evidence from the scenes and firefighters saw a man running from one of the fires. There was one individual who was seen wearing those tan-colored pants that was uh, spotted leaving the fire scene we're very interested in uh, identifying but of course we're going to need some more witness uh, accounts these aren't the only suspicious fires on monday there were three additional fires in the salmo area investigators are looking into any possible connections and just 25 kilometers away, there have been 10 suspicious fires in Fruitvale's Marsh Creek area since 2019. Trail RCMP have spoken to persons of interest, but no arrests have been made. Investigators are looking into possible connections with all the fires. We are aware that the Selma Detachment recently has had a number of intentionally set fires. And we are looking for linkages between the Marsh Creek fires and the Salmo Detachment because of their close uh, geographical proximity. With the hot, dry weather expected to continue, residents are hoping an arrest is made soon. Grace Key, Global News. 
Here's a snapshot now of the wildfire picture in our province. There are 1,249 fires so far this year. 247 of those are active now, with 44 sparking up just this week. We have 37 fires of note, which are highly visible or pose a potential threat to public safety. And 89 of those fires are considered still out of control. One of the largest wildfires is the White Rock Lake Fire. That's burning northeast of Merritt near Westwold. It covers nearly 180 square kilometers. More than 100 firefighters are battling it as it continues to burn out of control as well. Global's Darian Matassa Fung has the latest. The wildfire near Westwold has ballooned in size and is now an estimated 20,000 hectares, nearly double the 12,000 hectares reported on Monday. There has been substantial growth on the east perimeter as well as to the north. The extreme fire behavior is being attributed to large amounts of wildfire fuel, heavy smoke hampering air attacks, and extreme weather conditions including heat and wind. Currently, we're in the backcountry near West Wold at the White Rock Lake wildfire. Now, I just talked to some BC wildfire fighter fighters. They say the fire is burning just a couple kilometers behind us here in the hills. I also talked to some nearby residents to gauge their concern level with the wildfire. Well, I've been in a lot of fires here, and it's no flames yet. So I'm just ready. I'm getting my stuff ready. I'm probably at about a six out of ten. And, and talking to some of your neighbors, you know, what is the overall sense in the neighborhood right now? Um, well, yeah, a lot of people are pretty nervous. There are widespread evacuation orders and alerts for the surrounding area. Within the TNRD, we have 576 active evacuation alerts. That's the approximate number of properties on evacuation alert and 85 evacuation orders due to that wildfire. The fire borders on two other regional districts. The Columbia Shoe Shop has an evacuation order for 10 properties and the regional district of North Okanagan has an order for 20. Darian Matassafung, Global News, Westwold. A new urgent advisory was issued today for anyone planning to use any of Metro Vancouver's parks. The fire danger rating is extreme. Keep that in mind. Metro Vancouver officials raising the fire hazard to its highest level at all 23 regional parks, saying after weeks of unrelenting heat and no rain, conditions are bone dry. And those hot, dry conditions are expected to continue through the long weekend and there is no significant rain in the forecast the week after. This is early for us and uh, we just want to make sure with everything that's going on in the Okanagan that we're well prepared and that we're educating uh, park visitors as best we can to, so that we don't have any other episodes. We want people to take note and be cautious when they're going into our regional parks because we want to keep them open so that people have a chance to get out of their condos or apartments and get out into nature and hopefully cool down and refresh in nature. Metro Vancouver says all parks are still open, but they're not ruling out full or partial closures if necessary. They're also stepping up patrols and increasing enforcement. Just ahead, British Columbians falling deeper into debt. So they're feeling squeezed, essentially, with their monthly budget. How many are feeling the pinch of the pandemic? And one of the great beer drinkers and hell raisers in rock and roll is gone. New crash eastbound down the cut before Mountain Highway in North Vancouver. This is actually two separate rear-enders in the left lane, so really moving slow towards the Ironworkers Bridge. 
Looking to invest in commodities that fuel the future? Power your portfolio with alternative energy ETFs from Horizon ETFs. ETF solutions for every investor. In Global One, I'm Tim May. The special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories. On Global as we emerge from the pandemic, new research shows compared to other Canadians, British Columbians are the most concerned about being able to make ends meet in the next year without diving into credit. Consumer Matters reporter Andrew joins us now with some advice on how to manage debt as our pre-COVID spending habits return, Anne. Thanks, Chris. Insolvency firm MNP encourages anyone struggling with debt to seek help before it's too late. A recent survey found six in 10 people in BC took advantage of low interest rates during COVID to buy things that may not have normally been within their budget, and those bills are catching up. The latest MNP Consumer Debt Index shows that 47% of British Columbians don't feel they're going to be able to afford their monthly living expenses without sinking into deeper debt. That's up nine percent since March and the highest level since December of 2019. The same quarterly poll conducted by Ipsos on behalf of MNP finds 39 percent of people are likely to spend more than they typically would on travel, dining and entertainment post-COVID. 44 percent of those surveyed say if interest rates go up again, they could be in deep financial trouble. Experts say don't wait to seek help. It could save you from catastrophe when interest rates go up. Right now, debt is a, is a bit more affordable than it usually is. So once interest rates rise, then people are going to have less money each month to just make their li regular living expenses. The amount of uncertainty that's going on in, in British Columbia um, is, is on the rise. And what, what we're seeing as licensed insolvency trustee is a hesitation for people to get help or even just find out what their options are. Now, licensed insolvency trustees who are federally regulated and offer free consultations say debt is a solvable problem and bankruptcy is a last resort. Homeowners with an outstanding mortgage may be at risk. MNP says nearly three quarters of a million homeowners in B.C. are vulnerable to financial turmoil, including interest rate hikes or changes to their job situation. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. Sounds good. All right. Thanks, Anne. The federal government is making it a little more convenient for British Columbians who drive electric vehicles, announcing today that they'll be investing $2.6 million into building 98 new charging stations around the province. And that includes two new hydrogen stations, one in Surrey and one in Victoria. They'll be ready for public use between now and November 2022. So today you can drive from St. John's, Newfoundland to Victoria, British Columbia in an electric car and you will find a charging station wherever you might need one all along the way. There are over 6,000 publicly accessible charging stations across Canada compared with approximately 12,000 gas stations. Up ahead, covering up in the U.S. Surging cases cause many to go back to wearing masks. And Chinatown Rebirth. Our series continues with a look at what it will take to bring this landmark neighborhood back to its former glory.
still dealing with a new crash on Highway 1 eastbound. This is just before Mountain Highway. It's blocking the left lane. Two vehicles involved here. There was four, uh, two separate rear-enders. Two of them have gone, but these other two are still here backing this traffic up. Almost to Westview. Welcome to the electric future. Be among the first to reserve the all-new 2022 Bolt EUV or redesigned 2022 Bolt EV. Request your reservation today. Visit ChevroletOffers.ca. In Global One, I'm Tim May. Economic revitalization is seen as one of the most essential yet tricky pieces of the puzzle when it comes to bringing people back to Vancouver's Chinatown. Tonight in our final installment of Chinatown Unmasked, Kristen Robinson has a look at how the community is working to make visitors feel safe amid the neglect. When Jade Dynasty resumed serving its steamed and fried delicacies in 2019 after a major renovation, Connie Deng hoped young people would also return to Chinatown. Like the old style is gone. I feel Chinatown is not feeling like Chinatown anymore. Since COVID hit, she says the Pender Street dining room is one of only two dim sum restaurants left. I'm feeling sad for Chinatown. It's the only sign in the world that's wider than the building itself. From what the Guinness Book of Records recognizes as the world's shallowest commercial building. Uh, watch your step though, because yeah, it is actually glass. Rod Chow is defending his late father's focus to keep Chinatown alive with the iconic neon that once dominated the neighborhood. We wanted to bring it back and uh, kind of make it a catalyst to bring back people to Chinatown. The city is also pushing for a UNESCO designation which would see Chinatown protected and preserved as a World Heritage Site. It will be very important for Chinatown's future. It would mean having international recognition for its special history, its culture and heritage. The process to submit a UNESCO application could take years. And many say Chinatown can't wait. I think this is a tipping point. I think that there's a time when we realize that if we don't do something now, it could be lost forever. Carol Lee's grandfather was one of the pioneers of Chinatown. The entrepreneur and full-time volunteer now leads the charity committed to bringing it back. Solving safety issues, the biggest challenge. But Lee says Chinatown was built on resilience. I think that, you know, so much of what we've had to do historically, we've had to do it on our own. Lee is not waiting for the other shoe to drop. The Vancouver Chinatown Foundation, working with the community, hoping to launch an economic development strategy this fall with projects like the Chinatown Storytelling Center and 58 West Hastings Social Housing set to open. Let the people come down to Chinatown feel safe. It's intriguing, it's different, and it's an integral part of the history of our city. And we will find ways to get people to come back. Their goal? Making Chinatown a destination to rediscover. Try to bring confidence back in people's heart. I see signs of improvement. I see hope. Kristen Robinson, Global News. In Health Matters tonight, two months after vaccinated Americans were told they could ditch their masks, new data has them being asked to cover up again. There is a growing number of breakthrough cases allowing the virus to spread on top of a growing infection rate amongst the unvaccinated. Global's Reggie Cicchini reports. For more than a year, science has dictated the next move in this pandemic. But that same science can be thrown off course. We are dealing with an evasive type of a virus. It, it evolves. 
The decision to put vaccinated Americans living in hot zones back behind a mask is an abrupt reversal from just two months ago. I think it's a great milestone, a great day. Community spread is high or substantial in two-thirds of the U.S. The CDC says data shows the majority of spread is amongst the unvaccinated, but breakthrough infections are becoming an issue. I think it's really the risk of passing it on to someone that has really caused everyone to pause, reevaluate the mask recommendations, and put indoor masks back in place. But the mask recommendation is just that. The CDC can't make it a requirement, though it highlights the concern, especially with kids still not eligible for a shot. We know that the majority of children who are entering the school year will not be vaccinated. In some regions, classes resume in a matter of days. All have been advised to enforce mask rules, though it's up to state and local leaders, many of whom are pushing back. We're not doing that in Florida, okay? We need our kids to breathe. Almost 40,000 children and teens were infected just last week. The rapid increase in spread linked to the stalled vaccine program. And as some states mandate them for workers, the federal government is set to follow suit. When your actions compromise the health of someone else, that's when I, an appropriate time to intervene in the form of a mandate. The unvaccinated remain the fundamental problem. It's straining hospitals, some of which are seeing their highest admissions to date. And with 100 million Americans still at risk, even if vaccinations surge in hard-hit states, doctors warn it'll be too late to give immunity to those who need it most. Reggie Chikini, Global News, Washington. Just ahead, a woman recovering from a vicious raccoon attack. I just want to feel safe in my own yard. Security camera video shows what happened, and it's also a lesson for others. And coming up in sports, a happy homecoming for BC's Olympic medalists, including one who fought back from near death to reach her dream. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. A Vancouver senior is traumatized after she and her dog were attacked by raccoons. A warning the cuts and gouges she suffered in the attack might be disturbing. And as Imadagahi reports, the episode has left her afraid to even go out into her front yard. As soon as I opened the gate, I got attacked. I just had time to grab my puppy and, and try to get out from through the gate, to the gate. But the raccoons went through it and attacked me on the sidewalk. I thought I was going to faint and they were going to kill me. A 72-year-old woman needs constant trips to the hospital on top of what she's been told could be serious mental trauma. My injuries are very bad. The, the bites of the, of the raccoon went very deep. As I was kicking him back, he kept coming to the same spot. Try to imagine, this is steps outside her front door, and only a couple of weeks after the first time her puppy was mauled. I was able to grab a, a broom, and I started to spank the, the raccoon until he let him go. I grabbed my puppy and I brought him inside. She's traumatized by it. She doesn't, uh, she can't think about coming back here to take out her dog. She can't take her dog outside. She's kind of feels like a prisoner in her own home right now. Like in the video, they attacked her here. She was able to kick it off and then punch it. The family is frustrated. They feel like no one's taking the situation seriously, especially because after advising them to call a private pest control company, a City of Vancouver employee also told them over the phone that the raccoons were likely inhabitants of the neighborhood before she moved in. I said, but 
raccoons don't pay taxes. I've been paying taxes for, uh, for uh, 47 years. The BC Conservation Officer Service also told us dealing with raccoons is not part of their primary mandate either. I never thought they would tell me that the raccoons were here before me. This is their land. If that was a child, the child would have been in a lot worse condition. And so with no agency willing to make an exception to help remove these nearby raccoons, her family says she likely will not feel safe outside for quite some time. Amadagahi, Global News. Tough to see. All right, we'll bring uh, Christy in now with a look at the weather. I know you've had a family of raccoons in the backyard too. Thankfully, it's peaceful between their family and yours. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Um, it was, uh, we had a little guy that got lost and we helped him uh, reconnect with his mother, which was kind of nice to see. Uh, Chris, we're talking about heat warnings. I just want to give you a glimpse as to what you could see on Friday. Tomorrow's going to be hot, but really Friday and Saturday will be the hottest. Thankfully, though, some relief expected on Sunday. So just to give you a perspective, some areas in the interior could be in the upper 30s. But keep in mind, if you've got significant smoke in your region, that may drop those temperatures because the sun wouldn't be able to warm things up. It's not only Heat, the heat during the day that's a concern but the fact you won't get relief at night so make sure you're really cooling yourself down properly drinking your water a great way to cool yourself down is to have a cold bath and give yourself that time to really drop that temperature this was Chilliwack today as I mentioned earlier and this is going to be tomorrow so we're likely going to see the edge of the smoke in Chilliwack again but Friday is when we're going to see a change we could start to see that smoke shift into Metro Vancouver on Friday Whistler as well Bella Coola as Chilco region as well. So it's Friday that we'll really be watching for some of that surge out towards our region and very heavy smoke expected in the regions that are right near the fires. Now we have the potential for rainfall and that's on Sunday. That's when the ridge of high pressure will break down. Some rainfall potentially in through the Fraser Valley and the Okanagan Valley. Again that is Sunday. It's only one day but should help things at least. So there's your tomorrow everyone. This is really the surge of the heat. Thursday you'll feel it. There's the widespread smoke for Kamloops and uh, Columbia region, whereas for our region should be clear again tomorrow, except you may see the edge in through the Chilliwack region. Friday's when we could start to see some smoke, more cloud cover expected late Saturday and certainly into a Sunday, slight chance of rain on Sunday as well. And tonight's central windows weather window is from around 100 mile house. This is an incredible shot. David explained, he said, some beauty within a mix of scary times. And that's for sure the case here. Yeah, we're getting used to seeing those uh, glowing red orbs in the sky, especially in the summer. Okay, thanks very much, Christy. A founding member of iconic rock band ZZ Top has died. Dusty Hill, the bass player and singer for ZZ Top, has passed away at the age of 72. Hill's bandmates Billy Gibbons and Frank Beard issued a statement saying he died in his sleep at his home in Houston, Texas. After starting as a blues band, ZZ Top switched to traditional rock and became one of the hottest acts in the world, selling an estimated 50 million records. There's no word on the cause of death or whether it's related to a recent hip injury that forced Hill to bow out of a string of shows across the U.S. The inventor himself, Ron Popeil. Thank you. And a lot of people will recognize him, one of the most successful and famous pitchmen of all time. The creator of the infomercial has died. Ron Popeil 
was the inventor of countless products, including the Showtime rotisserie. Uh, with his catchphrase, set it and forget it, Popeil was also responsible for the pocket fisherman and hair in a can. He amassed a fortune estimated at more than $200 million. His family says he had a medical emergency on Tuesday and died in hospital. Ron Popeil was 86. Two legends. Spray on hair. Gone too soon, yeah. Spray and the on pocket hair. fisherman, yeah. <laughs> Thankfully, neither of those necessary for either of us yet no no i don't need a pocket fisherman at all uh i buy or my fish in the store uh okay so one person who is happy with all the free agent moves that jim benning made today is his head coach travis green you know we've given travis more depth more flexibility one of the signings was travis hamannick someone the coach wanted the canucks to bring back Sounds good. Also, sit and stay for our story about pandemic puppies coming up. Little girl power coming up later in our Olympic coverage, but uh, right and now a little more. Yeah, not just girl power, BC power. That's right. I know. That's right. And hopefully a uh, better season ahead for the Canucks. Well, they're very optimistic right now, although everybody usually is in July. Uh, Jim Benning is going all in. He's all in Jim. In the last week, he has brought in a battalion of players for both the Canucks and the other Canucks down the road in Abbotsford. Vancouver started today with $26 million in salary cap. They're at about $14.8 million right now, which seems too little to sign Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes, and Jason Dickinson, but not all the money counting against the cap at the moment will count against the cap at the start of the season. These are some of the notable players the Canucks signed today. Yaroslav Halak, I like that pickup. He'll back up Thatcher Demko. Hamannick is back. Tucker Pullman, we'll talk about him in a minute. Luke Shen is back after a couple of years in Tampa. Brandon Sutter got a one-year deal. Uh, Hunt and DeCepi. Uh, also might make the team or they could be down in Abbotsford. Let's hear from Jim. I, I feel really good that our team's faster now. We're younger. Um, you know, we're going to be more physical on the back end. And, you know, I'm excited, you know, look forward to training camp and the start of the season. Wheeler from the corner. Tucker Pullman shooting. Scores! Of all the moves the Canucks made in free agency, getting defenseman Tucker Poolman from Winnipeg raised the most eyebrows, not because they signed him, but because they gave him a four-year deal. He's not coming off a great season with the Jets, although he did have COVID, and the Canucks feel he will be better with them. He's long, he's got a good stick, um, you know, he can move the puck, and we just feel like you know, with the players we have on the left side, he can complement their games. And the coach was happy with what happened in free agency, especially the re-signing of Travis Hamannick. Travis, you know, really wanted him back. He's, you know, he, he's a guy that plays a, a strong defensive game and can play with, you know, had a good season with Quinn. Benning made sure after filling all the holes, including getting Yaroslav Halak to back up Thatcher Demko, that he has enough money to sign Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson, even if another team gives Pettersson an offer sheet. We have the cap flexibility. We'll match any offer sheet that he gets. Um, and we still you know, have the ability to sign the guys that we haven't signed yet. And former Canuck Alex Edler signed a one-year deal with the Kings. He'll get $3.5 million. In total, right now, 156 free agents have been signed for almost $780 million when you count all their contract. Okay, 
Uh, the BC Lions are leaving Kamloops early because they've been smoked out of their training camp from forest fires, which means they're heading home and they'll finish camp at their regular practice facility in Surrey. It's not, it certainly wasn't the plan, you know, that I think we're going to end up missing out on probably two practices total. And so that's not, that's not ideal. But um, if it was going to happen, it's best to happen at the end um, as opposed to it happening at the beginning or the middle. So just with the situation up here, I think it's good to, to head back. Um, we can set our roster and then we can get, get going um, back in Surrey with the, with the guys that are going to be on the, on the team this year. BC Rowers Kaylee Filmer and Victoria's uh, Hillary Janssens of Cloverdale Victoria Filmer, Janssen's Cloverdale, won bronze in the women's pairs event just a little while ago. And BC members from our bronze medal winning softball team arrived back in Vancouver today as well. This is a moment I've dreamed of since I was young, like watching athletes walk out of the airport in their Canada gear with their medals and everything. And I've dreamed of this moment. And um, yeah, it's just, it's pretty cool to bring this home to Canada. Maple Ridge's Larissa Franklin and White Rock Sarah Gronawagen, part of Canada's historic softball bronze medal winning team at the Tokyo Olympics. Canada, one of just four countries to qualify for all five Olympic tournaments. I think this right here, um, it validates a lot of the hard work that myself and my teammates have made throughout the past year of the pandemic, but just the past 12 years of the sport not being in the Olympic Games, I think. Um, it's really special to be a part of history in general, but just to be a part of it with this group of women is a very special moment and something that will hold on our hearts forever. We were told by John Herdman of the soccer team uh, two years ago about how this is just a piece of tin, and I feel like it really is, and I understand that now, but like you look down at it and just there's so much more that went into this that you just like you can't even see just from looking at the medal. Gosh, are you kidding me? The other thing you can't see now, but no doubt will in the future, is how our Canadian Olympians are role models for the kids who watch these athletes chase and live their Olympic dreams. The first week of these Tokyo Games, one of those defining and powerful moments, as every medal earned thus far has been won by a female athlete. It definitely feels like a very special thing to be a part of. That female empowerment, it's, it's been really cool to be a part of, and I feel super proud to be a part of that female crew. Just that representation and um, seeing females get to live out their dreams is something very, very special. And with that rowing medal earlier, our women now have added 10 to our total. All women so far. Uh, Japan is the most golds with 13. You should wonder what the guys are doing over there. Gotta, gotta get it going. Gotta get it going. All right, thanks very much, Squire. We're going to take a break and come back with the sometimes harsh reality of welcoming a COVID companion into your home. Pandemic Pets, next. If you got yourself a pet during the pandemic, you are definitely not alone. New owners, though, are confronting the reality of dealing with their furry friend's behavior, both the good and the bad. And as Kylie Stanton reports, pet trainers are being run off their feet. 
He's responding very well. They're honest, friendly, loyal, and smart, possessing the best traits of human nature, <laughs> much like their human counterparts. Oh, I was born in the year of the dog. Mariana Warnell has been training pups for nearly two decades, opening her own business, Middle Earth Canine Academy, six years ago. But 2021 has been the busiest yet, thanks to one thing. Uh, COVID. The surge in pandemic pets, a direct result of people working and staying at home. In lockdown, dogs and puppies were able to provide the companionship people so desperately needed. I think for some people it wasn't quite what they were prepared for, especially when they get into their adolescent phase, just over six months to just under a year. That can be a trying time. Zach Dutrasak's dog, Finn, who is now seven and a half months old, also happens to be deaf. A little bit more work, a lot more work. <laughs> Together, they've been working through Warnell's 10-session course, learning visual cues, including sign language, while using this hobbit home constructed on the property to help teach what behaviors are acceptable in an indoor setting. It's just a sit and stay. It's set up like a little house inside so that you can actually train dogs, you know, what is okay to do and what isn't okay to do. It's in here you can see the sheer volume of work on Warnell's plate. Well, this is 2020's binder, um, even with the few months off with COVID. Um, this is 2021's binder, and we're just getting into July, so halfway through the year. But like the dogs she trains, Warnell also has a strong sense of responsibility. Yeah, so I'm going six days a week most of the time, and occasionally someone on my day off. If that means it will help these pups remain in their forever homes instead of being surrendered, then it'll all be worth it. Because it's a family member, it's a commitment. Kali Stanton, Global News, Colwood. Is it ever a commitment? Uh, great that somebody with that expertise, though, is, uh, is helping people deal with it. Hopefully you're getting some cuddles from your pet right now. Okay, last check on the weather before we leave. So a hot one, sunny one, that's for sure. Tomorrow I am concerned about some smoke moving into our region on Friday. Saturday, Sunday is when you'll finally see a change with reduced temperatures. All right, stay cool, everybody. Until then, we'll talk to you later.